Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about the Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in Placentia, California at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning. Listen, we got, it's a big week. It's a, football's back. Football's back. Football. And there, no, no. Thank you. No, it's, you mean it? You like football? Do you have a team? No, not soccer. No, that's football. I mean, football. All right, do you have a team, young lady? You like college football? Are you a USC fan? That was tough. That was a tough day for you. Or really, if you're a Pac-10 person, it's a tough day for you. Uh, But if you're a Buckeye, it was a good day. It was a good day yesterday. All right. Um, And not only that. What? Bowling Green? Yeah. Who's your team? The Bruins? Oh, yeah, A&M's tough. Yeah, shouldn't have been. Don't talk, don't talk to me about football. You're, and you're never in the front row. You're only here because your wife's sharing. She made you. Of course she made you. That's right. It feels like Mother's Day. Um, all right, if you're new, welcome. Uh, this is, uh, believe it or not, this uh, is a church community or something closely approximating a church community. Uh, we want to welcome you. One of, the, one of the things that we have a high, high value for uh, is that folks who are coming from all sorts of backgrounds, um, all sorts of uh, spiritual backgrounds, wherever you're coming from, we are thrilled you're here. Uh, we wear, you see our team, uh, they wear these little slogans that say safe to belong, and we actually mean that. And, and what we mean by that is really three things. Number one, we think the church should be the safest place to talk through and process anything. And, uh, and so we want to be a space where, yes, of course, we're unapologetically fans of this Jesus, uh, but we recognize people are in process and people, and that Jesus doesn't rescue us all at once. Uh, it takes a while to work it all out. So wherever you are today, <laughs> we're thrilled. Somebody came up to me and said, hey, Mike, your shirt looks big. And I don't hear that a lot. And so I was, frankly, I was very excited about that. Okay, what were we talking about? Three values. The second value uh, um, is uh, we, we absolutely, absolutely are committed to doing whatever we can do to capture the imaginations of the next generation. And that, and that means that we're not going to entertain, we're not going to amuse. Um, we just think there's something beautiful about the ordinariness of the gathering of God's people. So we're, we don't have amazing programs. We're not going to fill calendars with church stuff. We just want to be really good friends and neighbors and brothers and sisters and parents and children and whatever else. And, and then the third thing, oh man, I've only gone over these like four times. Um, what's the third thing? Safest place. No, no. I appreciate you trying to help. No, not that one. Safest place to talk about anything, reach the next generation, and, oh, duh, and the church exists to love and serve the world. In other words, we're, the, the primary purpose of the church isn't to criticize and nag the world. The primary purpose of the church is to love it and to serve it and to give itself up for it. So, so there you go. See, that was worth it. Um, so anyway, uh, we're thrilled that you're here. A couple of things. If you're new, you can go onto our website, voxoc.com, and you can fill out 
um, something that will let us know that you were here. We will add you to an email list. Um, you also, there are little cards that are get to know you cards that are out kind of in that lobby that you can fill out and put in the participation boxes. Two things coming up. We have a, a new to Vox dinner. If you're interested, um, we host uh, up to, I think, 50 adults once a month over at our house, and Lindsay makes barbecue. I think it's pulled pork this month, and so uh, you can sign up on that um, for our, uh, on our website. And then the other thing is, oh my goodness, lights everywhere. And then, this is huge. This, is, this may be the most spiritual thing we will ever do as a little church community. We're three months old, but we felt like it was time. We're four months old. We, and we, we're having in two weeks the first ever Vox kickball tournament barbecue immediately after this service. All right, this, no, this is a big deal. All right, this is a big deal. So it's kickball tournament with prizes and a barbecue. So if you're like, I don't play kickball, that's fine. Two-year-olds play kickball, but you, we, we won't judge you. It's safe to belong. Uh, but we're actually going to have team sign-ups. You've got to have some kids on your team, but we're going to go. It's going to be serious, guys. It's going to be serious. So that's in two weeks. Make sure you're keeping track. All right. Anything else? Did I forget anything else? Anybody? We good? Hello? Anything big happened this week to anybody? Anything good happened this week to anybody? Awesome. So it was a horrible week. You all, you all ate and lived and thought and talked and loved, and, and it was awful. Come on, give me something. Let's go. Oh, well, that's great for parents. That is great for parents. And all the parents said, amen. These kids don't, they don't need to be out of school. They need to be in school. You know what I'm saying? And Rick, was that you, Rick? So you're a teacher. So I don't know if that was a good or a bad thing you were saying there. Although you might like it, I don't know. Anything else big happen? Football, shirt size, that, those were my two. My friend's kid pitched against the Angels and, how'd he do? He did okay, he threw a 101 mile an hour fastball. That's what I'm talking about. Nice. That's not you though, what, hap what could happen to you? I mean, I'm glad for your friend's kid. All right, we're done here. All right. If you have a Bible, let's go to the book of Mark. If you do not have a Bible, and, and, and oh, and by the way, and if you're here and you're not a like, huge fan of the Jesus thing, or you were bribed here, Matthew, or um, <laughs> if, if you, you came in expecting Beauty and the Beast and, and you just got the Beast part, um, and you're wondering where the beauty is, she's over there. No, um, uh, we put everything up on the screens for you. And so you can check that out. Um, we'll go to Mark. Now, what we're, what we're doing is we're kind of wrapping up a summer of, uh, of looking at the beauty and majesty of Jesus. And, and we've done it a couple of ways. The first way we did it was looking at the way that Jesus was insulted throughout his ministry, which is kind of a backward way of understanding a bit more about him. When you, when you study what his enemy said about him, you get a feel for what he was actually like, how radical this guy was. Last week, we just began a brief discussion about, okay, we looked at the difference between followers of Jesus and non-followers of Jesus and realized it had nothing to do with spiritual maturity, nothing to do with worthiness or deservedness. It really just had to do with one group admitted they needed help and the other group didn't. And that was the only thing that separated the two groups. This week, uh, before we launch into kind of a fall series of teachings, 
we want to look at what made Jesus angry because it's very interesting. Jesus was unbelievably patient and gracious with the brokenhearted, the marginalized, the outcasts, the misfits. But there was one crew he, he got mad at. And, and I think in, in Christianity, anger is either ignored completely like it has no place in the Christian life or this hyper-macho, over-aggressive, militarized view of anger is kind of uh, adopted. And, and I think Jesus gives us a picture that has super, uh, has a lot of power for kind of where we find ourselves in a, in a very angry world today. So Mark chapter 3, there are uh, three biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're slightly different in the emphasis they have in the people they're writing to. Good morning. I'll scoot back a little bit so you don't, I mean, it's, that's tough. That's right here. I mean, this is tough, right? Back here, it's better, right? Right. You're thankful I had a kilt I was going to wear that I keep threatening to wear I was going to wear. Probably not a good idea. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Another time, Jesus went in to the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, and the them here are the religious leaders, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if Jesus would heal the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. Now, if you um, are familiar at all with the New Testament, you know that Jesus is constantly getting into trouble around something called the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath command was one of the big ten, right? One of the top ten was to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And one of the things that you did on the Sabbath is that you rested. It was a sign of trust that God provided, trust that you didn't have to be defined by your work. It was, a great, it was supposed to be a great gift to human beings to take a day and to rest. And, and still today, many people practice this. But back then, this was a command. It was part of the covenant. Um, and you, you were liable for pretty significant punishment if you did not honor the Sabbath. So the command was honor the Sabbath. The subcommand was don't work on the Sabbath. So the question became, what does it mean to work on the Sabbath? And the ever helpful rabbis devised, they, they called it the 40 minus 1 regulations. 39 different categories of work that you could not do on the Sabbath. And, and, and we've talked about this before on the podcast. Some of them were just absolutely crazy, right? You could carry enough ink to write one Hebrew letter, but if you carried ink to write two Hebrew letters, that was carrying a burden and that was outlawed on the Sabbath. You could carry enough milk for one swallow, but if you had two swallows, it was too much milk. I mean, this thing, instead, instead of a gift, it became a weapon in the hands of the religious leaders to continually remind the outcasts, the misfits, and the marginalized that they were not true Jews. And so here comes Jesus, and there was a rule about healing on the Sabbath, and it was this. Very simply, if someone's life was in danger, you could heal them on the Sabbath. Otherwise, any healing you did was considered work and was outlawed on the Sabbath. So the, the, the Jews of the day taught that if someone's life was in danger, you could bring healing. If a person's life was not in danger, you could just wait to do it on a non-Sabbath day. So Jesus is in synagogue, and he meets a man who has a withered hand. Is that a life-threatening condition? 
Is that a life-threatening condition? No. No, the cultural expectation is he's had a withered hand. He will have a withered hand. There's nothing about this that is, uh, um, that is some sort of emergency. And so the religious leaders who would, were watching Jesus, because Jesus by this time had gotten a, a bit of a reputation that he didn't honor all of the traditions that had grown up around the Sabbath, so they're watching him. And the word here literally means they're spying on him to see if he will heal in defiance of the cultural expectation that because the man's life was not in jeopardy, the, the guy could be healed another day. Jesus, of course, thinks this is utterly ridiculous. So Jesus, verse 3, said to the man with the shriveled hand. Now, the one thing you've got to know about having a shriveled hand is it wasn't just that you had a deformity, but it was that the cultural judgment was that you were reaching for something that wasn't yours, and that's why your hand was withered. So there's an episode in the Old Testament where a king stretches out his hand against a prophet of God, and when he pulls his hand back, it's withered. And so the, expect, the, the cultural idea was, and the verdict of the religious leaders against this person was, his hand was, was proof of his own sin. So not only do you have the issue that the man can't work, he can't do uh, whatever vocation uh, would require both of his hands, but you have also the verdict that he somehow deserved it. So Jesus, in the middle of a synagogue service, all right, says to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now, could Jesus have done this privately? Yep, could Jesus have done this another time? Yep, Jesus, in the words of William Wallace, he's picking a fight, right? Anybody, Braveheart, anybody? So, no, 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 nobody, no. Anyone under 30 is like, ah. It's all right. That's all right. You had Disney Channel. Uh, that was, I'm sure, a worthy substitute. So Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked the religious leaders, all right, let's, let's get beyond the nonsense of the 39 categories. Let's just, add, let's break this down, kids. Which is lawful? to do on God's Sabbath? To do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Just, what do you guys think? But they remained, what? Silent. Jesus looked around at them in anger. Now, Jesus, I don't know if this will surprise you, Jesus got angry. Jesus got and the word for anger here isn't like he was mildly annoyed. He was a bit offended. No, no, no. The word means furious. The, the word means indignant. It is a very active, forceful, guttural kind of anger. And notice, he got angry at them. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed. The deeply distressed word means he was grieving. So he was angry and then grieving because their hearts were so hard. It says that Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed or saddened at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man did so and was immediately healed. Then the religious leaders went out and began to plot with some of the political leaders about how they might kill Jesus. That's how offensive this was. So, so, the story, you're in a religious setting like this. There are certain protocols that go with attending a synagogue service. 
I have no idea how Jesus manages to interrupt the whole thing, but he sees the man with the shriveled hand and the religious leaders watching Jesus to see if Jesus would heal the man. Jesus could have done it the next day. He could have done it in private, but instead he says, stand up in front of everybody. Let's, let me just boil this down. Is it, is it good to do good on the Sabbath? And they're quiet because they, they got nothing. And so Jesus looks at them and it says he's furious. Evidently, Jesus is angry at heartless religion. Evidently, Jesus is angry at people who don't show mercy, who themselves have received mercy. Evidently, Jesus really gets ticked off when religious people emphasize the keeping of their rules to the neglect of showing the mercy and the healing and the liberation that Jesus himself was bringing. And so Jesus looks at them in anger and grief. And one of the things that's so interesting, Jesus gets angry a lot. We just don't see it in English. But it's an interesting question to ask, what does Jesus get mad at? And what does he do with his anger? Those are very interesting questions. Because I, I know what I get mad at. And I know, I know what I do with my anger. And that's not quite the same, right? So here's what I get mad at. I get mad when, um, when service at a restaurant isn't quite what it should be. I get mad when I'm at Disneyland paying $40 for juice boxes <laughs> and the service is awful and it robs our ability to go enjoy the rest of our day because we're sitting in Ariel's Grotto for hours being tortured <laughs> by princesses. I get angry when there isn't enough parking. Like, you want me to go to your store and there's no park? No, I, get, I, I will go. I will just go. I get, I get mad. And, and my anger, my anger, it doesn't lead to anything good. It just leads to me being frustrated or me shutting down or me being quiet or me doing whatever. Jesus' anger, what did Jesus' anger lead him to do? In the story, what did Jesus' anger lead him to do? Heal the guy. Now, how about that? Jesus' anger leads to healing. What's your anger lead to? What's my anger lead to? It's not healing. <laughs> Whatever the opposite of healing is, that's kind of what my anger leads to. It's fascinating because evidently anger has a place in the lives of those who follow Jesus, but a specific kind of anger, not a militarized, like, like, um, like sergeant who's breaking in a new recruit kind of anger, not the God hates you when he's going to just delight in seeing you fry forever kind of anger, right? But some sort of anger that leads to restoration, some sort of anger that leads to cleansing. Go to, go to Mark chapter 10. Notice another time Jesus gets ticked off. I mean, I, I love, because I, think about it. A lot of us are uncomfortable when we talk about God being angry, Right, or God being wrathful, right? Not all of us are huge fans of this. But which would you rather have? A God that looks at the Holocaust and says, eh, you made the mess. Or a God that looks at the Holocaust and is unbelievably and righteously and furiously offended and determined, determined to bring justice to the world at some point in human history. Right, which are you more comfortable with? The God who's indifferent or the God who looks upon injustice and gets angry. So with Jesus, 
he's seeing the victims of heartless religion all scattered all over Israel. Here's a man with a shriveled hand, and Jesus is like, listen, the Sabbath is to be a gift, not a weapon. Heals the man right there. Another time, Mark chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus. (laughs) In order for Jesus to place his hands on them, But the disciples rebuked the children and the parents who were bringing the children. Now, as we saw last week, the disciples, clueless, correct? I mean, these guys, and that's why we can all be here, because they they are nuts. They are absolutely insane. Here's another example. Children, in the first century, children weren't examples of religious virtue. Children were just drains on uh, resources. Children were not like, oh, childlike faith. That was never a good thing. That was a bad thing. Children were never considered worthy of investment, a rabbi of Jesus' stature. So people are trying to bring children to Jesus, and his disciples culturally just go, get out of here. The rabbi has many more important things to be doing, right? Again, another instance of somebody, of a class of people that's normally overlooked in Jewish society. They bring him to Jesus. When Jesus saw that his disciples were rebuking the children and the parents, he was what? Indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom belongs to such as these. And then he flips the cultural story. Truly, I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. What was Jesus angry at? Religious people who were determining who was worthy of God's love at the gate. And Jesus is indignant. And instead says, not only, not only are they welcome, we actually are to be like them. And if you're not, you'll never get into my movement. I mean, absolutely crazy. So what does Jesus' anger lead him to do? To bless. The outcast, the misfits. Flip over to Luke chapter... Go to, you know what, Matt? What do you think? 11 or 19? Which one do you want? You pick right now. 19? Luke 19. You just saved them maybe 10 minutes of sermon time right there by jumping to 19. And there are many here that say thank you. Luke 19. Because I'm not going backwards. I'm not going to Luke 11 after this. We're going night. Always go forward. All right, uh, uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 45. This is the most famous example of Jesus' anger. Luke 19, 45. When Jesus entered the temple courts, this is the last week of his life, he began to drive out those who were selling in the temple. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day Jesus was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him, yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. Now, here's what was going on at the temple. What did God intend the temple to be? What was it to be? What? House of prayer for all the nations. It was to be the place... Where, where people could come to the God who dwelt among them. Unlike all the other gods, this God condescended to dwell among his people. But in order to put on display how holy and righteous and good this God was, 
The temple complex was built in such a way as to create grandeur and majesty. And so what began to happen over the generations after the temple was built is became corrupt. So one of the things you had to do is if you were coming to the temple to receive forgiveness, you had to, buy, uh, you had to bring a sacrifice, an animal, and that animal had to be pure and faultless. But what the priests would do at the temple is they, if you look at an animal closely enough, you can always find a blemish, correct? So they would say, nope, your animal's not faultless. So you have to sell it to us. They'll pay about half of what it was worth. And then you have to buy one of our animals, the, the official like approved animal list, right? And so then, so you would lose money on the transaction and then you'd have to buy one of theirs and that price was inflated. And then what would, then, what would happen is then they would take the, the animal that you just sold them and then they'd sell it as one of the pre-approved animals for full price to the next person. I mean, absolutely corrupt. And so Jesus, in one of the other uh, gospel stories, Jesus fashions a whip and he drives the animals out and he's turning over tables. And I don't imagine he was whispering, hey guys, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. Right? I mean, how loud do you have to be? I mean, he's, he's shutting, he's symbolically judging the temple as only God could do. So what makes Jesus angry? Well, evidently, heartless religion, being gatekeepers for who God loves, and then thirdly, the corruption that comes when the religious establishment looks out for its own interests instead of the interests of the people it's supposed to serve. In each case, see, Jesus, Jesus could have gone to all the other temples in his world, right? There were temples to Zeus. There were temples to Aphrodite. There, there were temples to Artemis. He could have gone to any of the temples, but where did he, which temple did he go and cleanse? The one that should have known better. The one that he'd initiated. The, the, the temple system his father had designed and commanded, right? So for those of us that are Jesus followers, who is most likely to receive the fury of Jesus? If Jesus were walking around today, would he be walking around judging all of the people that don't know him? Or would Jesus be judging his church? Which do you think it would be? Absolutely. Because when he came the first time, what did he do? He went straight to the religion supposedly bearing his name and judged it. And I think today, I mean, we just have whole cottage industries of people today who are so furious at the culture war and so angry about what's happening in our country. And all we're known for is our unrighteous anger. And our anger doesn't lead to anything good. All our Facebook posting doesn't lead to anything good. There's no righteousness that's coming from our anger. All we do is just confirm in the minds of people far away from God that if you become a follower of this Jesus, you just become an absolute jerk. And instead, what the scriptures teach is what makes Jesus really angry isn't when people are screwed up and lost. What makes Jesus really angry are when the religious leaders try to co-opt God's love and movement and grace and truth and mercy and blessing and to somehow restrict it to the circle they've pre-approved. And then Jesus, Jesus gets fired up. But even in his anger, what does his anger lead to? What does his anger lead to? 
healing the man, liberating the man, welcoming the children. And then ultimately his anger leads to the curtain of the temple being torn in two through his sacrifice so that there are no temples left. I mean, this, so, so for me, this is massive because it says a couple of things. One, it calls into question my own anger because Jesus' anger was, was, it came from his alignment with the purposes of the Father. My anger comes whenever my own selfish will is thwarted. My anger comes when I don't get my way. My anger comes when I'm disappointed with how things are turning out. And maybe, maybe I'm so willing to be angry because I've ceased. I'm looking for a fight because I've, I've not really been involved in one that matters. Right? So I'm willing to be offended and willing to just be petty because there isn't some overarching thing that God has invited us into that I'm now a part of. The people who are waging war against human trafficking, the people out of, out of anger, out of righteous anger, the people who are waging war at some of the injustice in our world. That's a good Jesus kind of thing. So it's not just what makes us angry that's so interesting, but what do we do? Does our anger lead to healing? Does it lead to liberation? Does it lead to throwing the doors open of God's kingdom wide to anybody? Or does our anger make us small and petty and at war with one another? And so to me, Implicit in these stories is kind of a, mm, a critique of me. And I think a critique of us. All of those who would call themselves followers of Jesus have to be confronted with the fact that if Jesus showed up here, the first thing Jesus is going to be angry at is the, are the places where his church has really messed it up. And if you're here thinking that this church is somehow not going to mess it up, can I just tell you, right, we're going to mess it up. Okay, we are. We are. I, here's the problem. I think I am wrong approximately 20% of the time, at least. I just never know what 20%. And so I just kind of roam around. Come on, that's funny. Oh, don't be angry. I thought that was funny, but nothing. I got nothing, man, nothing. So on the one hand, when, when you read about Jesus, Jesus is welcoming and he's gracious and the brokenhearted and calm and the screw-ups and the failures and the notorious sinners. Absolutely. And then he looks at the religious leaders and he says, tax collectors and prostitutes are getting in ahead of you. And, and it's not just that Jesus is, is just totally nice. It's that there are times when Jesus gets super cranked up about stuff and invites his people to emulate him in that way. Anger, see, we've been taught all anger is bad anger. Jesus demonstrates otherwise. There's a place for anger for followers of Jesus. It's just what are you mad at and what's it lead to? Does your anger lead to blessing and wholeness and liberation? Or does your anger cause you to cave in on yourself, to be petty and to be vindictive? And, and if you're like me, it's that, but wanting to go to the first. And so when Jesus was walking on the earth, if he were walking today, we would be the objects of some of his frustration, correct? And so we just have to be so careful, so careful that the Jesus we're following is the real one and not one of the caricatures like so many that exist out there today. But the danger becomes, and this is, this is oh man, this is where I get killed. 
You know who the people I like to judge most are? The judges. I love judging the judges. I love it. I love judging those judges. But the minute you do it, what's happened? You've joined them. And so what you cannot do is you cannot build a community on, well, at least we're not like them. That's the Pharisee game, the anger game. Well, at least we're not. And so the goal is to become people who, yes, are welcoming and gracious to all, but who also realize in the walking with Jesus, for those of us who do, there's a place when, when we, the, we realize the goal is for us to be mad at what Jesus was mad at, to be sad at what Jesus wept over, to bless what Jesus blessed, right? We're to be little Christs emulating the way he was. And so for some of us, some of us who are super angry, people, that's our whole realignment to what that means. That's the putting down of the petty and the picking up of the beautiful and the righteous anger that Jesus personifies. And for others of us, it's the recognition that you've been deeply hurt and it's okay to be angry at some of the hurts. It's okay to be angry at some of the wounds. And what Jesus invites us into isn't just an anger-free life or a crazy angry life, but it's rather being so aligned with the purposes of God. We're angry at the things he was angry at. And as it turns out, he'd be angry at a lot of us. So, works well. You can keep track of who's on his scorecard. Uh, here, it's here. Now, whenever I have a conversation like this, Oh, I need to tell. Whenever we have a conversation like this, I always feel like there are folks in the room who have been deeply wounded in the way, in the same ways that the religious people of Jesus' day hurt some of the outcasts of Jesus' day. I feel like that still happens. Would you agree? <laughs> There's still heartless religion, there are still the gatekeepers. And, uh, and so what I wanted to do was, yes, make a point about anger and make a point about Jesus. But I really, I woke up this morning feeling compelled to want to pray for those of you who've been deeply hurt by the church. And I don't mean the church like as some vague thing that doesn't help. But I mean like people in the name of Jesus supposedly following him have deeply hurt you, not mildly offended you, deeply hurt you and have made it hard for you to trust, to open yourself up, to re-engage a community and all that goes along with it. And, uh, and so I, I just want to pray for those of you who have something to forgive. Um, you've, the hypocrisy of it, the, uh, because you can't stay there forever. The invitation of Jesus is, is yes, of course, to forgive, but we recognize you can't forgive without acknowledging what's actually happened. So if this is okay, I know this is a little weird, but, you know, that goes with the whole morning. <sighs> See, I think it's funny. I just think I'm funny. No one else. I'm so alone. I'm so alone on this stage right now. So alone. I was excited to see you, and, and uh, clearly that's One Direction, which is my favorite band. No, 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 it's fine. That's fine. All right. So here's what I'm going to do. I, I want to actually invite you uh, to stand up. And I know it's weird. We're not going to embarrass you. We just, we just want to pray. But if you have been um, deeply wounded by 
people in the church who carry the name of Jesus to the point where even re-engaging in a community is something that takes a great deal of courage for you. Um, would you try, <laughs> I know this is so, but I, I really want to give you the opportunity to be prayed for. Would you just stand up right where you are? And we're not going to embarrass you. I know this is weird, but I want to just pray for those of you who've been deeply hurt by the church. So if you'd stand up right where you are, because I know you're out there. I know it takes, I know it takes courage. I know it takes courage. And I don't know what it was, but you were, on the, you were on the end of the heartless religion part. You were on the receiving end of the gatekeepers. You were on, and, and it's been tough to open yourself up. Anybody else? And I think a lot of us have either been in that spot and know exactly what it feels like, we're in there now, and it's kind of tough to acknowledge it. But I just want to pray. And uh, we're not going to do anything weird other than I'm just going to pray. So um, would you close your eyes? Thank you for being courageous. And I just want to pray that Jesus would meet you in this hurt. That Jesus would bring grace. That Jesus would allow you to feel the full weight of it and everything that was hurtful about it so that we're not pretending it's okay. And that at some point, the work of God would be so magnificent in you that you would be able to forgive and you would be able to bless. That doesn't mean forget. That doesn't mean re-engage fully and completely. But it means that you've somehow opened yourself up to relationships in a community like this. And suspicion isn't your first thing. Cynicism isn't your first thing. So, close your eyes, if you would. We know Jesus does his best work in the dark. That is, in the Bible. And, and for those of you who are seated, um, if you're Jesus followers, if you just, just want to pray quietly for the people around you, um, God knows what's going on. And so, Lord Jesus, we are so very grateful for the pictures that we get in your word of the fact that you hate our hypocrisy, too. That, that you hate... Uh, and are so angry and yet grieve too. I mean, God, I thank you so much that you have mercy on those of us who are judgmental. On mercy, you have mercy on those of us um, who are the gatekeepers. You have mercy on those of us who've missed it. And so, thank you for that, God. But we we pray particularly for the refugees who are here this morning from church culture, who have found instead of uh, grace. Uh, and love who have found some sort of exclusion and marginalization and hurt. And God, I, I pray, you know the story, you know everything about it. It's not surprising or shocking to you, but I pray that you bring healing to my brothers and my sisters, that you would release them, and not in denial, but rather in full acknowledgement of the hurt and the pain. You would release their hurt, and you would release their pain, and you would bring healing to them that we would not live in opposition or anger to the judges and thereby join them, but we would learn instead to give grace and to give mercy. And so, Lord, we need you to come and to inhabit this space with the, the brokenhearted sons and daughters who are standing before you. God, we need you to come and to breathe good news, the possibility of hope, the possibility of renewal, the possibility of, of community, the possibility Father, of, uh, of the fact that you've not given up on the journey. And so for my courageous brothers and sisters, I pray that you would draw near to them 
and the good news that Jesus stands in opposition to what has hurt them, that Jesus stands in deep desire for a full and beautiful church that reflects what he was like accurately. Father, we pray that this might be a space for the refugees to come and find healing. And so to that end, Lord Jesus, come. Come and draw near to the brokenhearted, we pray. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being so courageous. This is Maddie. Hi, Maddie. Friend of Izzy. And that's Ruthie. So evidently you've got to have some sort of Y, I, E, you know, I combo on your name to be a friend. So Mikey is what Izzy, Izzy calls me. So, so Maddie is an artist down at Costa Mesa. She's going to lead us in worship. And uh, we're going to sing a couple of songs. Then she's got a song that she's written um, she's going to do. And then um, we're going to share a story, take the table together, and, uh, and keep moving along. All right? So, Lord Jesus, thank you. We pray that you would be blessed with this time. Amen and amen. It's good to be with you this morning, Vox. Um, this next song is called Skeleton. Oh, <laughs> You seem like it. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. This next song is called um, Skeleton, and I wrote it a little bit ago, um, probably six months ago now, um, and I'll let the song explain the rest.
torturer For my hands and my feet I am responsible I'm subject to a decaying soul Born with a nature I can't control I'm a criminal I'm a criminal I'm a wanderer I'm a wanderer Won't you take this sinner Won't you take this sinner Won't you take this Sinner to heaven Hold so my feet May water no You know, that's, that's never going to make it on the Disney Channel, that song. That's just, um, dang, that was great. Hey, um, one of the huge values we have as a community is to tell stories. It's one of the ways we make it safe to belong. And so, um, Juliana, where are you? Are you back there? This is our friend Juliana, who's been with us uh, to start the church. Say hello. And she's going freestyle. She said, no notes today. So this, we could be here for half an hour. We're not sure. We're not sure. However it goes, we're going to be, we're in with you. So say hello to everybody. Hello. Yeah, hold it, hold it all the way up. Okay. Hello. My name is Juliana. Hi. I'm absolutely terrified. <laughs> um, a little bit of a background of how I got up here. I got an email from CC to, to the whole Vox launch team and it was asking if anybody was interested in sharing their story. And my response was, I'd rather stick needles in my eyes. <laughs> Halfway yes. joking. So that's a yes. And we just, yes, we just joked back and forth. And then I got an email a couple days ago from Andy saying, hey, I heard you were going to share your story. That's right. And I said, no, that's not what I said. I said I'd rather stick needles in my eyes. Which is yes. Which is yes. So I shared my story, and I actually, um, he said it would be great, you know, we want you to do it, and I still never had any intentions on doing it. I had a plan B, and a plan C, and a D, and one of them was for my husband, Matthew, to come up and share his story if I couldn't do it, because he has an amazing story. He does. He really does, and I know his story better than I could probably tell my own. So babe, you want to yeah. come? Can, can, Let's go, right now. <laughs> Get a twofer. <laughs> um, okay, so just a little background um, about me is I grew up Catholic, um, and I say that loosely, not going to church necessarily every Sunday, but um, doing the CCD and my first communion and making my confirmation. And even at a very, very young age, the um, confession scared me to death. 
going into a dark closet with somebody on the other side that I couldn't see and saying my sins was horrifying. And I just would go in and I'd say, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Um, my last confession was three months ago. I lied to my mom. I fought with my sister and I stole a quarter and I would just run out. Um, even at that young of age, I didn't understand why I had to go and kneel and say 10 heart, Our Fathers and 12 Hail Marys and then I would be forgiven. Mm. And even sitting there, I would try to cheat. I, and I'd say, okay, well, I did too. Isn't that good enough? Um, and I would leave. So, and I also have memories of my mom <laughs> fighting with the priest, Father Marin. Um, so that's kind of my background of religion. Not physically. Um, no. Okay. Not no, physically. I mean, just clarifying. <laughs> no. Um, so I went through the whole thing and I did my confirmation and I didn't really learn much. And then I was in high school and my oldest sister, who's here, <laughs> um, became a Christian and accepted the Lord. I think she was in college at the time. And she shared um, her story with me and I just couldn't get enough of it. I saw the changes in her and she was so joyful and just so um, loved the Lord so much. And it was just everything that I thought religion should be. So she invited me to a... Um, camp, a ski camp, where it was for high schoolers, and they had the big call down, and I accepted the Lord. I did the, I walked it down, and I did that whole thing, but then I came back from camp, and I was, it was, it was just a long <clears throat> journey after that. Um, it I didn't fix everything, you mean? No. Just... <laughs> no. I came back to, you know, hanging out with people who weren't Christians, and I didn't, I didn't grow up with the Christians. I didn't go to a church. I wasn't a part of a high school group. So it was, it was started like me always feeling guilty um, for things that I was doing, and um, it was just really hard. So I've always kind of struggled just not having Christian friends and surrounding myself with people. So I kind of Flubbed my way through that, and then I got married, and I was married for 11 years, and I tried to do um, Bible studies, and we tried to get involved, and for some reason, just never um, fit, fit in. Mm. Just never had the right answers. We would, you know, they would ask, and you'd go around in a circle, and my answer was always wrong. It was... It, <laughs> the answer is always Jesus. You just... Right? right? I mean, come on. How, how long does it take to figure that out? But looking back, I feel like I was just... I was asking the right questions. Yeah. I just... Yeah. They would kind of laugh, or not laugh, but say, um, oh, that's cute, or yeah, but how about... And send me to the you know right verse or the right answer. And I struggled um, over the years really being able to call myself a Christian or to say I'm a Christian because I just couldn't reconcile in my head people who, who talk about it all the time and put it out there and are, you know, very open, but their actions are so far away. No, no, <laughs> nobody does that. From no. what I feel like a Christian should be, and it just was very confusing for me. And mm. so, again, just... Um, 
felt like I kind of didn't belong. And um, sadly, after 11 years, I um, got a divorce. And so then I lived with that label. So then it was like, oh, she's divorced. So again, in church settings, just didn't feel like, like I was good enough. I always yeah. feeling less than because I was divorced, and that's you know, bad. Um, but through all of it, and through all um, the way I was feeling, I had such a love, a fierce love for God, and a such a relationship with Him that I've been able to through it all through through the divorce and all these things that have happened, just my love for him was um, just so strong. And I have um, such an amazing tribe through divorce. Um, I have all these people that I get to love and this little redhead that I've known for 27 years, who's my daughter and my stepsons. And I got a really cool, amazing <laughs> man, Matthew. Um, Glad you clarified. <laughs> I thought maybe. Uh, no, my wife yelled at me for giving the towel to people. No, my wife yelled at me. She said no more towel for people. So she doesn't get the towel. I understand now the towel perfectly. You do, right? Yeah. But anyways, through these situations, I just feel like um, I've just been able to, to take them and to apply them to my life. And I feel... Um, Oh, this is so hard. I don't want to cry. Um, I feel like now, at the age of 48, Seven. it's coming up. <laughs> Through a Bible study that I recently did, um, it was called Fighting Back with Joy, where I was able to realize that the joy I have in my heart and the way I am with people and the reason why I do the things I do and the reason why... Um, you know, I fiercely love people, and it's because I'm a Christian, and it's okay for me to say that, and I have joy, and nobody can steal it, and I um, just want to be able to finally say that is the reason why I do the things I do, why I'm able to make the decisions that I, that I make. They're for God, and this is why, and this church, and stumbling across your podcast was so such perfect timing for me because when I listened to it I was like finally finally I feel like all of those questions that I had I'm able to freely ask I'm able to I'm safe to belong here there's no wrong you know, questions or why are you asking that? It's okay to doubt and to question all kinds of um, things. And me standing up here right now is my story because Amen. this is completely so far <laughs> from who I am. Even when you asked in your podcast for people to come and to volunteer. <laughs> Uh, I I would I wanted to do it. I was called to do it. I but I wanted to do it with Matthew. And in my head, I thought, okay, this isn't going to be great. We're going to be a couple. We're going to do this together, and my family. And it's going to well, he couldn't do it. So so it was me by myself. Slacker. And 
And he skipped Luke 11. He did. And he skipped Luke 11. You did not do it for me. So I came to the first meeting here. And Mike, um, I was by myself, and there's all these couples and families, and everybody's, you know, together. And I'm by myself, and Mike says, go find somewhere in this building and, and pray. So I sat down in the back, and I just started bawling. I wasn't praying for the building. I just, every sort of emotion came to my mind, and I was like, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this. I can't do this. So Perfect. I went to leave. I was going to leave because yeah. no, I hadn't talked to anybody anyways. And Mike, <laughs> Mike, you were at the door. And I was like, shoot. And <laughs> you looked at me and I said, I'm going to pray over the women's bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> so just so you know. I'm a liar. <laughs> I'm a liar. So the women's bathroom has been prayed Pray over. For recovery mm -hmm. for the women's bathroom. Mm -hmm. We so, were worried about that. Yeah, I, cry, I cried in there for a while, and then I, then you wanted us to go pray on the ground. I know, so lame. So then I, we, I was in between the two gyms or the buildings right there, and I saw my car, and I was like, forget it, gone. Go I'm out of here. I started walking. I had my car in sight. Yeah. And I can't remember which couple it was, but there was a couple that just came right towards me. And they sat down and started praying. I was like, okay, okay, God. All right, I'm yours. I'll stay. I'm a part of the launch team, which is, again, is so not me. And I'm with your kids, with the toddlers every week from the very beginning. And I just keep keep coming back and I love loving your kids they're so cute and I I just feel um so excited to be here and blessed to be on this journey with you and um if you have a ton of questions and you feel like the outsider um you're right. in the right place that's right that's exactly right that's exactly great good job Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. That's it. That's it. That's the story. Um, so what we do now is uh, we open up the Lord's table. We always t share a story to remind ourselves that the bread and the cup, it's for people just like us. Um, it never, ever, ever says you got to get cleaned up first. Um, so we come as people who are a bit of a mess. And, uh, and we take the bread and we take the cup. Because for generations, since Jesus inaugurated this, this beautiful picture, uh, people have come to be reminded that God is this good, that we are this loved, that the invitation is for us then, as we take the bread and the cup, to then be poured out ourselves for the sake of the world. And so um, whatever bit of faith, large or small, mustard seed or just colossal house of faith, whatever, whatever level of faith you bring, uh, you're welcome. You're welcome to come and to take uh, the table. We've had, we've had um, atheists take communion with their believing wives. We've had all sorts of, and I think Jesus just smiles in those instances where uh, if whatever it is that would cause you to get up out of your seat, Jesus receives you and blesses you. 
And, uh, and gluten-free is over there. That always, gluten-free option over there for gluten-free communion. Um, and then, uh, so we're going to do that. We're going to sing a couple of songs. And uh, you're more than welcome to stand, sit, reach up, not do any of those things. Um, if you want to financially participate in what's going on, there are these little participation boxes near the doors. You can do that. Uh, and then we have prayer folks that will stand near the uh, communion stations. And they're there just for you. So if there's anything we could pray for you for, uh, we'd be honored to do it. So let me pray, and then Maddie will take it over. God, we thank you for our sister. And we thank you, God, because I think so many of us um, sometimes feel unworthy or um, on the margins. And, uh, and, and to some degree or another, God, we've, been, um, we've inherited or internalized the message that, um, that we're not quite what the church is looking for. And so um, we're, we're grateful, God, that your table doesn't work that way, uh, that you, you ate with all kinds of people. And so, God, we, um, we receive that invitation this morning and give you praise and glory and honor. Amen and amen. So the table's open, guys, if you'd like to, to come. All right, brothers and sisters, if y'all want to stand, y'all want to stand, welcome. If it's your first time with us, uh, go to voxoc.com. You can fill something out, paperwork out there if you want to do it the old-fashioned way. Um, new to Vox Dinner, let's see, kickball. Oh, kickball. Come on, come on. Who, just, I need one person that was super excited that we we're doing a kickball tournament. Just one, just one, just one. All right, just one. Just kind of? Kind of. Kind of. Why would you be nervous about kickball? Because you're small. Okay. All right. All right. I don't know how that relates to kickball, but I bless you, and I, you're safe even if you're small. All right? You are welcome. Small people are welcome here. Small people. What's that like? What's it like to just fit into things? I don't, I don't know. So we bless you, small people, yes, if you've ever felt excluded. <laughs> All right, uh, I want to bless you as, uh, as you go, and uh, we always do a blessing from Numbers chapter 6, so uh, I want to say that over you, may the Lord bless you, and may the Lord keep you, may the Lord make his face shine upon you, and be gracious to you, may the Lord lift up his countenance to you, and may he in these days, in these crazy days, give you peace. Brothers and sisters, there is something about just gathering together in good and in bad, when it's hot, when it's cold, when it's great, when it's not great, we take the bread, we take the cup, we're reminded of who we are, and then we go to be the salt and the light. Not perfectly, but in process. And so we're super excited you'd be with us today. Say hello to Matthew, Matthew, and tell, tell Matthew to tell his story, because uh, it's juicy. He's got tattoos, so you know he has a past. All right, so, all right, see ya, goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.